Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and this is the second episode in a short series about digital health in South America. In the first episode, you could hear from Adrian Turiansky, Chief Science Officer at Bidigenia, an Argentinian startup bringing genomics closer to society. Argentinians are also very well known for their development in technology, so it's not a very big industrial country, so it doesn't have very big industries, but in, in terms of IT and science is very good and is, I think is one of the leaders in the whole region. The biggest companies in IT in South America are from Argentina. Today, you will hear from Javier Cardona. He is the CEO of the company named Undoctres that offers affordable telemedical consultations in seconds, no appointment needed. Javier talked about the structure of the Colombian healthcare system and the struggles it's going through. He also explained the needs for and specifics of telemedicine market in Latin America. Enjoy the show and do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. In the next two episodes, you will hear from founders from Brazil and Venezuela. And if you are interested in other healthcare systems as well, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com to find a series about digital health in Asia and Africa published last year. I recently published an episode about Germany. To mention just a few interesting country profiles, you can find in the archive. Now... To Javier. Javier, when Googling the Colombian healthcare system, there's mostly praise about how good it is. The World Health Organization ranked Colombia's healthcare system as number 22 in a review of 191 countries. So from your perspective, what are the strong points and weaknesses of the system? What are your experiences with it? In, in, indeed, we have a great system. It's pretty well designed. It is very strong in terms of um, Insurance. Everyone in Colombia has insurance by the government, by their employer, or by a private insurance. 99% of the people in Colombia have some sort of insurance. The problem, and it is the weakness, is when accessing the systems. Actually, when you need some service from a provider, that's not a good balance between, between insurance and providers. One of the reasons that we rank high is because the level of people covered, but The weaknesses of the systems are, are pretty, pretty much about access. People will have to wait. If you have a catastrophic disease, you'll get coverage. That's, that's very important. But you, if you try to access the, the, the access the system for anything that is or might be simple, it will take you some time. 
that makes kind of sense given the data uh, of the World Bank about the average of healthcare workers per population. You have 1.3 nurses and midwives per 1,000 people, which is extremely, extremely low. If I just make a comparison, Argentina has twice as many, 2.6 per thousand. Brazil has almost 10 times as many as Colombia, so 10.1. And the United States have 14.5 uh, nurses nurses and midwives per 1,000 people. Then again, Venezuela is doing much worse with 0.9. But when it comes to doctors, there's two doctors per 1,000 people, uh, which is not a lot. Uh, again, if I make a comparison with other South American uh, countries, Argentina has four doctors. Uh, the average in Europe is around three. So France has 3.3 and Venezuela has 1.9. So I guess that's kind of uh, the reason for, for low access. But still, I'm wondering, given the the quality that is supposedly in the Colombian healthcare system, does that mean that you have a lot of people coming in the country for from uh, other South American countries to get care? The answer is yes. But going back to the numbers, if we still look at another number, which is beds per, per inhabitant, that's still pretty low. So probably we write pretty high because of the coverage, as I said, but, but in terms of access, it still, it will take you from a day to three days to just talk to a doctor. The access part is a really, really big pain point in terms of the specialties. Uh, we, the, the problem is not so high. And one of the reasons that we export so many medical services to, to other Caribbean countries or other countries in the region, is also because of the cost. A lot of people coming from the U.S. to do like uh, surgeries, probably uh, also some dental procedures, things like that, because of the cost. Uh, and because we are like in the middle of the planet, in the middle of the region, we have a great position uh, geographically as well. But also uh, because of the price of the labor here is, is pretty low. Because of the crisis in Venezuela, which which is uh, lasting for quite a long time now, uh, approximately 1.8 million Venezuelans have arrived in Colombia uh, last year in December, according to the Colombian official statistics. So given that high number, the, do you see any impact of that on healthcare, healthcare access of, and perhaps even the impact on your solution specifically? Our system is getting a lot, of, a lot of pressure from people coming from Venezuela. There are some specific conditions that are more uh, worrying. For instance, a lot of uh, mothers coming to give birth in Colombia. But we also have people with big problems coming to Colombia, HIV-positive people coming to Colombia because they cannot find the medications in Venezuela. So they're all coming to Colombia. And this is adding a lot of pressure to our system. As you said, around 2 million people um, using or consuming healthcare services in our country and the position of the country and of the system has been to try to help them as much as we can. So they're now officially part of the system. And, and that's something we, we're very proud of. But of course, since they're not covered by any sorts of insurance, uh, they put a lot of pressure on the access part and also a lot of pressure on the cost part.
which kind of brings us to your solutions. In short, what you do is telemedicine, but perhaps on a more broader scale, can you explain a little bit what is specific about your solution? And then we'll go to other questions regarding access and the uh, problems you're solving. As we've been discussing, the big problem in this in this country and in this system is access. So what we do at Undoctress is to allow anyone to access a doctor anytime they need, anytime they want, and to make it affordable for, for many people. People just grab their phone and they're, they're able to talk to a doctor in less than a minute. They can chat real time with a doctor and try to solve their consultation. And in so, some, for some sort, we are kind of a filter for the system. Uh, we've been working with some of the insurance companies, with the largest insurance companies in the country, to try to avoid uh, uh, unnecessary visits to the doctor and allow insurance companies to provide that space to other people that really need it. So our position is not only to provide easy access and affordable access, but also to help the system to use more efficiently all the resources that we have, which are very scarce. So Undoctre has uh, an active network of 500 doctors in four countries, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador. Given the shortages of the healthcare workforce that we were talking about before, can you tell me a little bit more about the healthcare providers that are on your platform? So how did you get them on the platform? Are these private providers that work outside the um, national health system? Well, yes, they're, they're private providers. Uh, actually, a doctor in the region, not only in Colombia, but in the region, they have two or three jobs, right? Our goal is to be an important source of income for them so that they engage with the platform. So how do we get them? We started very little with some top universities in Colombia and in Mexico, and now we are expanded, expanding to Peru and Ecuador. And then they refer each other for, for a couple of reasons. The first one, this is, not, this is an steady income source for them. This is also important to mention that, that general physicians are, are not very well paid in the region. For us, being a source of extra income for them is very attractive. That's one thing. The other thing is that they have realized the possibilities of bringing digital to the healthcare system. So they really believe that this is helping not only their economics, but also the entire system to make it more, more efficient. We, we get doctors uh, in every country. And also, which is very important, is they're very eager to use technology because this is important in Undoctores. We built a lot of technology to help users or patients uh, self-assess their symptoms, perform a triage and a pre-diagnosis by assisted by AI. So doctors use less time per consultation. And we've been able to measure that. And our doctors uh, spend 29% less time per consultation than any other system. So that's why we're able to actually serve more people, make it more efficient, and also integrate with payers as insurance companies that I previously mentioned. And it comes as a, as a solution for every player on the system, users, patients, uh, insurers, doctors, providers. So it's kind of a twofold solution. On the one hand, you're supporting the or improving the national healthcare system. And on the other hand, you are increasing the income of doctors, right? 
Yes, that, that is correct. In, in our country, I would say that 60% of the people that go to emergency rooms didn't need to go there. Well, they could be solved some other way. Uh, and that's where we're taking or removing that pressure off of the system. Uh, and also by making doctors spend two, three, four hours a day working with us, uh, generating extra revenue, and also taking um, or thinking about the users or the patients that didn't go to an ER because it was the only ch the only choice we ha they had. Uh, and when a normal person goes to to an ER and it, it will take you it will take them from a day or three days to get care taken care of uh, so that's also a high impact you mentioned that the doctors are uh, eager to join your platform because they work two to three jobs and are not well paid so can we stop there a little bit so um if you would have to compare doctor salaries to other salaries uh, in uh, Colombia. So what kind of profession could they be compared with in terms of salary? Well, this is, this. I would say it's quite sad. Uh, previously, probably 10, 15 years ago, doctors were probably the best paid professionals in the country. Nowadays, they can be compared to any like business related kind of profession. Uh, And it's also because how the system works. So a general physician will, will need two or three jobs to, to make a decent living, uh, but also will have to put in a lot of hours. Uh, so by having this digital option, it's a great, um, it's a great way for them to keep on building their, their career, but also building a digital reputation. And also helping the system is it's it's pretty positive from any end that you can see. So when you say that they have two to three jobs, what does that mean exactly? That they work with two or three providers? I'm just uh, having a hard time imagining that because I know that doctors usually work long hours. Sure. Well, yeah, they they they, they can work for one provider. Let's say eight hour shift, and do another six or eight hours shift on on another provider that's like normal and some of them will do also another part-time during weekends or something like that so it's 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 by adding those three two or three jobs uh, that they can make up like a decent salary it also makes me wonder what's the incentive to study medicine in the first place do a lot of doctors study medicine in Colombia and then move to other countries with better working conditions? Well, I would say it's, it's vocational. It's, they love what they do and it's not only about the salary or something. They, they, they just love what they do and, 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 and we don't see like doctors going somewhere else uh, because what I would say is in the region, the conditions are pretty much the same. With the experience that we have, for example, in Mexico, there are even... They make less money in Mexico than in Colombia. So it's, it's pretty much the same in the region. Of course, there are some excep exceptions as Cuba or probably Argentina, but, but not many, many more exceptions. 
I mentioned before that you're present in Mexico, Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador. Can you make any comparisons in the differences uh, in culture and attitude towards uh, healthcare, the trust to the healthcare system, and just the way um, your doctors work? Are uh, all the doctors working in all the countries? So, for example, if you have five uh, hundred plus doctors on the platform, can a doctor from Mexico do a consultation with a patient from Peru? Yeah, well, no, that is a great question. Uh, as we expand into more Latin American countries, the first thing we do is to create the network of doctors in that specific country. So the first one was Mexico, then Ecuador, and then Peru. Right. Uh, the idea is that you, as a patient, as a user, have the better, the, the best possible experience by interacting with a doctor that is hopefully in your in the same city you are in. Right. So, to answer your question, doctors interact with users within the same country uh, because of different factors. The first one, the quality of the of the experience for the user. Uh, the the the, the 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 way we talk and the way even though we share the same language the same language uh we use different words and things like that so that's very important for us and also to be able to be more resolutive so if we need to to route someone to the system it's better that the doctor knows pretty well how the system works in that specific country because mexico colombia peru ecuador chile argentina all in the same region latin america but health systems are very different. In Colombia, as we mentioned, 99% uh, uh, coverage uh, of health insurance. In Mexico, that's probably 40% or something like that. So systems works pretty different. And we, 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 we try to have a, the experience as localized or, as possible. And we avoid doctors helping people from other countries. It might happen from time to time, but it's not what we um, focus on. Does that make it harder for you to scale the solution? What are your ambitions uh, in that regard? Just focusing on uh, South America? I mean, it's a, a large enough market uh, anyway. Like South America has, I think, 440 million people. Yeah, well, Spanish-speaking South America is around 450 million people. Almost half a billion people speaking Spanish in our region. So our vision is to become the healthcare gateway for Latin America. The first place you think of when you need something about health, that is Undo Tres, and then you could be, we could, we could solve your problem or route you to the next level of care that you deserve. That's why we are expanding into different countries, trying to work with payers, trying to work with the system, because this is really important. Uh, if, if you're talking about telemedicine, in order for the for the business to succeed, you need to be integrated to different payers, to different players as well. Uh, so that's what we're doing, and 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 we see ourselves as the as the the first layer of care in Latin America, which is uh, and and after COVID, I think digital is going to stay and it's going to keep on growing, and we want to be this that first layer of digital care in the region.
since you mentioned uh, different healthcare stakeholders, um, can you perhaps just share a little bit more about them and all the intermediaries that are present in South America? So um, you just reminded me of the U.S. healthcare system, which is extremely complex with you know, all, all the healthcare organizations, the different healthcare, uh, insurance models, um, then the pharmacy benefit, benefits managers and others. Is it any more, uh, consolidated in Colombia and South America? Well, that is a great question. And yes, indeed, it is more consolidated. I would say that probably governments or states provide 50% of the insurance that is available in the region. So going back to the case of Colombia, where 99% of the people have insurance, uh, probably half of it is coming from the government. So, And that's very similar in all the Latin American region. So there is some private system, uh, but the, the public system is pretty strong, and they cover most of the people. Because, of course, we are a developing region with a lot of economic challenges. So in that way, it's, it's really, it's really, it's probably more, a more simple system, I would say, in terms of how it is designed, but it's still very complex. And again, similar to Colombia, everywhere in Latin America, access is the real problem. When it comes to your solution, how does one become a member? Well, you can, you can use our, our product from three different angles. The first one, your insurance company can pay for that. So we have already 11 insurance companies in the region that pay for uh, Undoctres services for, for their people covered. There is another way your employer can offer you Undoctres as a benefit. And this is growing super fast. And the third one, people can come to our platform, to our website or mobile applications and buy consultations on demand. And those are very affordable. We start serving consultations from $2 in the region, which is a very affordable price. And it would be less money than the one you have to spend on public transportation just to go to the doctor. Does it ever happen that the doctor you would have a consultation with on the platform would then treat you in person also? No, we, 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 we don't have any in-person services. Uh, what we have created and are working really hard to create is more partnerships with providers because we know 40 to 30, 30 to 40% of the times you will need additional care or physical kind of care, right? So we're building these uh, alliances in order to be able to draw the people uh, or our customers to some other different layer of care, uh, but we do not provide it by ourselves. Can you tell me a little bit more about the culture of the environment that you are working with in, in terms of communication, uh, com so communication patterns, um, technology adoption, uh, smartphone penetration? What are the technical difficulties that you are facing? Well, in terms of smartphone penetration, that should be around 75% in the region, and it keeps growing. Uh, so I think that's a good sign, uh, and, and that's something that will 
that allow us to dream that we can serve more people every year. Uh, there are some challenges, challenges in terms of connectivity. Uh, we were still lack of a lot of uh, 4G uh, coverage, so still uh, many people using 2G connections. And that's one of the reasons that we, for the time being, have prioritized uh, real-time using chat services, not only video, but also chat. And probably we do more services based on chat text-based than any other because also uh, because also the, the, the connectivity conditions that not most people experiment. And since WhatsApp has done a great job on teaching people how to uh, communicate and real-time text uh, with a lot of people, so we kind of replicated that experience and allow our users to basically chat with a doctor at any time. And, and, and because of the connectivity issues, that's the best possible solution that we have thus far. Still, um, we expect connectivity to improve, but it still will gonna take two or three years to, to, to get to levels of the US or probably Western Europe. How about the interest in technology in digital health from the healthcare providers side? So usually I like to ask the people in the digital health space about the broader perspective, you know, because we who are researching digital health or you who are working in the field, we can have um, an impression that Everybody knows what digital health is, what kind of tools are out there. However, when you know how busy doctors are and how burned with uh, everyday clinical practice, you can quickly realize that in practice, there's a lack of awareness of things that exist. So maybe you can tell me a little bit more about the recruitment process that uh, you have in place to uh, find the doctors to, to work for you. Well, this is a great question, and you allow me to draw a line pre-COVID and post-COVID, right? Pre-COVID, I would say it was harder to, to get people and providers, not only doctors, but also insurance companies or, or clinics or hospital to, to adopt these kind of services. It was, it was harder, but post-COVID, it was like they have to have it. They need to have it. There is no other option. And for months, there hasn't been another option. So right now, we have probably 500 doctors on a waiting list to join our platform. Every day, we receive 10, 20, 30 applications, uh, even more than the demand that we are currently having. COVID changed, changed the, 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 the landscape uh, for good. And, and, and this is, I think it's going to stay this way. So telemedicine is going to be here to stay in a post-COVID uh, world. And, and payers, providers, even governments are now aware that they have to work on this digital solution. And that's probably we, that why we have some, this spike on usage and we're basically exploding. 
are you also seeing any um, new interest for investments and the an increased and more rapid development of other digital health related technologies you know from ai um, and new ideas in terms of how healthcare could be helped with technology well the answer is yes uh, we've seen a lot of interest not only in our platform or our technology but in the broader space uh diagnostics chronic disease treatments so 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 many different areas where now people uh realize that there are opportunities covid is is giving us user adoption payer adoption and and a more flexible regulation and that's huge and that's also like a more uh interesting landscape for investment uh and it was totally different four months ago and yes we're seeing not only in developing countries but in developed markets high appetite for for these kind of companies are and willing to 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 bet more uh on different solutions and technology because of these three conditions user payer and regulatory uh changes uh during this pandemic Are you worried that the measures that are taken now would be rolled back after the pandemic? Well, I think that some of them will 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 go back, but not to where we started. So probably somewhere in the middle. Uh right now you can do WhatsApp consultation, you can do FaceTime consultation. I think those channels will be removed. I think security is going to be prioritized because right now that's like doesn't matter just to the consultation. Uh so I think post covid uh the companies that were better prepared and that were in a better position in a better stage will be the ones that that will prevail. Things are not going back to where we were pre covid. I think we probably advanced probably five or ten years in adoption during these last four months. They say that um, every overnight success is five years in the making. You are one of the largest providers of telemedicine in South America. So, can you actually tell me a little bit more about your beginnings? So, where did the idea come from? Where did you start thinking that this could be something that could have a good market potential? and how did the story unravel afterwards well that is a great question like six years ago when i thought that it would be nice and helpful to talk to a doctor online at that moment it, it seems little crazy you know even in the states or some other developed countries there wasn't like a solution for that there wasn't a platform or a website that you can talk to a doctor in seconds even paying 5 10 20 40 dollars whatever it might be it just didn't exist so at that time what i what i what i decided is that this kind of solution would have a great impact on people after doing some research i learned that 50% of the times that people go to er they didn't need to go there it could be solved some different ways so at that time basically i was living in the middle east very far away from from my country and i needed a doctor i just couldn't find it and i and i tried to access one online uh, as i was buying 
air travel tickets, whatever. I just couldn't. And, 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 and I decided that I, I was going to build that for my region because of the, of, of the problem that we have with access because of the, the speed that connectivity was growing and in smartphone penetration, also internet connectivity. And because it was a super huge market, you know, everybody has to do with healthcare a couple of times a year. So I decided that this has a, it was a, it was a great opportunity. It had a lot of impact. It, it, it is one of the places or, 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 re, or sectors that you see technology having a totally an impact that is huge, that is revolutionizing. So that's why, that's how we were born. Uh, five years ago that we launched our first platform, uh, we were told crazy many times, like no doctor is going to participate on a platform like this. Now we have 500 doctors waiting to join our platform. We have payers uh, working with us, even governments working with us, even the Inter-American Development Bank is now funding a consultation for the most vulnerable people in Colombia on un doctores. Uh, and we have a future that is looking very bright and, and, and an opportunity that I think is going to change the world, we, the way we access healthcare in the, in the region. Sounds like golden times. So tell me, what are your biggest challenges or fears that you're currently facing? Well, there's many challenges. Still, uh, adoption has grown a lot, 10 times, 12 times, but it should be 100 times. So um, that's, that's, that's a still a big challenge, adoption. Uh, another challenge, of course, is um, how to provide a service with a great level of user experience, but also security in terms of how you manage the data, how you take care of your users without exposing any private information. So I think that's a big challenge because this kind of, services have been never been offered at scale. So that's a huge challenge. And the other challenge, of course, is technology. We know now that technology plays a big role. Our AI is helping doctors um, use less time for consultation. And I think that's only the beginning. So different kind of challenges in terms of adoption, adoption, regulation, technology. Uh, but it's it's very... It looks pretty good and, and, and it looks very, very, the opportunity looks pretty, pretty amazing. So we're very excited to be, to be at this exact, this precise moment in history offering telemedicine. Telemedicine. A few months ago, I had an interview with the CEO of Medico, which is also a telemedicine provider for uh, South America and uh, Spain. And he said that currently the biggest telemedicine company in the world is actually WhatsApp, because some places peop- um, doctors would still use it in absence of other platforms. And that when I kind of asked if he is worried um, if uh, WhatsApp decided to move into healthcare. He said that um, that's an unreasonable worry because, you know, if you would worry about that, then you wouldn't have a business. And if WhatsApp did decide to move into healthcare, then, yeah, uh, others would have a difficult uh uh, time in in still succeeding further with their businesses. 
Um, but until uh, platforms like yours are tackling the very, very uh, complex regulation and healthcare requirements, there's nothing to worry about. So I, I just f perhaps a little bit of reflection from your side. What do you think about the competitors and do you see any uh, big tech companies coming to uh, the market that you're present in with ideas to offer something similar that you're already offering? Well, what I would say is that telemedicine is a lot more, a lot more than just connecting a doctor to a patient. That's the easy part, right? Because it's only connectivity. You can do it through WhatsApp, FaceTime. So that's the easy part. The hard part is to keep it safe, is to keep it integrated with the system, within the system. Who pays for what? Uh, is it integrated with health insurance? Is it integrated with governments? Is it integrated with the whole ecosystem that is pretty complex and it changes from country to country? Uh, not also in terms of healthcare players, but also regulation. So I don't see like big tech, big tech like, uh, I don't know, Google or Facebook, uh, even Amazon moving into this space in a worldwide uh, level because because it's really hard and a week ago they just we, uh, we probably we witnessed the the hearing in the US Congress and I think there there have some some interesting things to take care of before moving into healthcare but I do see uh, big companies like Teladoc like Pinan Good Doctor in China expanding real quick because they're they're been providing telemedicine also for quite some time they're doing at a high scale uh, with high security. And that's probably what I see um, some level of uh, consolidation or probably um, threats from competitors, from big telemedicine companies that already exist, exist in the markets. So you see also Babylon from, from Europe, some big players that or are public companies are tele, as Teladoc or Pinang Good Doctor or with huge funding as uh, Babylon or probably some other companies in France or, or, or even in, in other countries of Europe. It's interesting that you mentioned those big players. So I wonder um, when looking closely and following closely what they're doing, uh, how are you looking at your own development? So what's your roadmap like? Are you planning to establish any um, um, offline activities as well. So, because for example, Pingan Good Doctor, they are the largest uh, telemedical platform in China, but they also started establishing these uh, one-minute clinics with where a patient can also get some very basic medications in kiosks that are present in campuses and other places. Well, yeah, we, our roadmap has to our, ro our roadmap has to big areas of work. The first one is expansion in the region. We were serving close to three hundred thousand consultations a month in Colombia, uh, and we have the technology and the product and the knowledge to do it in in more countries in the region. So we're planning to expand real quick uh, in the region. So. Mexico, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, and Argentina are 
in our target to, 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 to open those markets real quick. And also in terms of technology and our product, uh, we now know that our AI help us save doctor's time, but we also know that it can do many more things, right? Uh, so we're working on that pretty, pretty hard, uh, basically allowing the platform to provide even more tools so the doctors can use their time more efficiently. And the last part, integrating with the, what we call the online to offline, right? So in some cases, you may come to our platform and you need a lab test and we should be able to direct you to one uh, that is close by or that has some sort of uh, alliance with us in terms of price. Uh, but we also might need a medication. So we, we might be able to provide that for you even on delivery or with some alliances with physical uh, stores. Uh, so what we see is how in the next two to three years, the transition to online to offline is going to be big. But first, you need to have a big online presence and then be able to, 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 to do the offline part. So it's go, it goes like in phases. So we're now focused on growing the online part, but we have in our vision that the online is how we close the loop and we provide a 360 view to our patients. With all the exciting things uh, waiting for you in the future, are there any specific technologies or developments that you're most excited about? AI is talked about a lot. Precision medicine is coming from the scientific end. Uh, there's more and more evidence and experiments in terms of what voice technology can do and how it can help. So what's your uh, a broader vision? where all this is going in terms of healthcare and your solution? Well, in our vision, when you go to forget about digital health, forget about like any of these telemedicine, when you normally went to the doctor, 70% of the time will do some administrative task from filling your electronic medical record to record your demographic data to do many administrative tasks. So my perspective in terms of technology is that we should build any kind of tool to help the professional, to help the doctors use the time for for what they for what they were trained for. We started this conversation saying that there were two or four doctors for every thousand people. The problem is not solved by adding twenty more doctors for Per thousand people. The problem is solved by adding technology so they can use uh, their time in the most efficient way possible uh, so they can serve more patients. And that's our vision there. That's why we build AI as a tool for doctors, as a tool for patients, as a tool for insurance companies. So the entire process runs smoothly and more efficient in terms of cost. Because when you talk about efficiencies, in healthcare, you're talking about the possibility to serve more people in a better way. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. Every opinion counts. Thank you.